Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Matthew chapter 2, where my Bible is opened up. Now, I invite you to be finding Matthew chapter 2 in your Bible as well. This part of our worship is all about giving our attention to the Word of God. And so it is only natural and fitting then that we would be looking in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 2 is where that's going to start. It is great to see everybody on this very chilly Lord's Day morning. We do, as Brother Glenn has said, got a great number in attendance, especially considering all the folks that we've got that are sick and folks that are traveling in other places. We appreciate you being with us, whether you're a member here, whether you're a visitor here, whether you are man or whether you are beast. We've actually got any service dog is here this morning, and so, uh, so we've got man and canine here in the building today, but glad that you're here today as we are seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. I know that these are a busy few days for lots of folks, but the fact that you've made the decision to hit the pause button on all the other comings and goings so that you could be here at this hour and in this place doing these things, I think that's really just about the best decision that you could have made this morning. Let's read together in the text. In Matthew chapter 2, this is beginning in verse number 1. In Matthew 2 and in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You know, people have been looking for Jesus for a very long time, haven't they? Ever since Jesus was born, people have been very fascinated with Him. And so they have made great attempts to seek Him out. Like, for example, these wise men did here in verse number 2 who traveled a long distance to see and to worship and to bring gifts to Jesus. Why, even King Herod, verse 4 says, that even he desired to know where he could find this Jesus, even though Herod's motivations were much less honorable than the wise men. But the point of the fact is, is that people have always been looking for Jesus. It seems to me, though, that that interest in finding Jesus really reaches its pinnacle at this particular time of the year. I would imagine, and I don't have any hard data about this, but I'm going to guess that the name of Jesus gets invoked more during the month of December than at any other time on the calendar. Because it is during this time of the year that we are told, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we are implored by many to keep Christ In Christmas. In fact, for most religiously inclined people, Jesus and the Christmas season, why, they just go hand in hand. Those things are just synonymous with each other. And as a result, the Christmas holiday becomes really a focal point for people who are looking to find Jesus. And let's be honest, Jesus is seemingly... Well, he's seemingly everywhere at this time of the year. Even in a culture that has largely pushed Jesus away, in a culture that has rejected God and rejected the Bible by and large, you can still find Jesus just about everywhere you turn throughout the month of December. The Christmas carols that get played over the airwaves and in the shopping malls, those Christmas carols are dripping with words about Jesus. 
Jesus is on those greeting cards that get sent out in mass. In fact, I went to the post office the other day to get some stamps, and there was Jesus right there on the stamps. His name and His persona has been depicted on television and on movies. All kinds of holiday specials are cranked out by Hollywood at this time of the year. Why, in all likelihood, there's probably maybe a plastic or a wooden or a metal illuminated Jesus sitting in the front yard of your neighbors on the very street on which you live. There you go. If you're looking for Jesus, look no further. He's right here. He's right here in the middle of the Christmas season. Just open up your eyes and all around you, you'll find Jesus. Or will you? I want to submit to you this morning that that version of Jesus that is often portrayed and presented and depicted in conjunction with the Christmas holiday, I want to go out on a limb this morning and tell you that that is not the real Jesus. For a number of reasons. It's not the real Jesus because it is incomplete. It is often marred by inaccuracies, factual inaccuracies. And it is tainted with the myth and the legend of a holiday that is of human contrivance. This morning, if we are going to find the real Jesus, it's not going to be in Christmas. If Jesus is going to be found, where's that going to have to start? That's going to have to start in the Bible. And that is exactly where I want us to go this morning. I want us to go to the Bible and I want us to consider three places where the real Jesus can and must be found. I want to help us this morning to try and separate some of the fact from the fiction about Jesus and about His gospel and about His followers and what Jesus expects of His followers. Because I want to submit to you that so much of what is presented about Jesus at this time of the year, it is fraught with trite sentimentalism and misguided and misplaced zeal. And we don't want to get caught up in that. We don't want to go down that kind of path. We want to find the real Jesus. Now, let me get this out of the way before we go any further. It is not my intention this morning to just trash and bash the Christmas holiday. I am not anti-Christmas, even though I was telling Derek before services, the older I get, the more and more of a Scrooge and a Grinch I find that I am becoming. But you know, we have traditions in our family at this particular time of the year. We put a tree up, we exchange gifts, we get together and eat and play games and do all that kind of stuff. In fact, I believe how individual people, individual disciples choose to observe this day, I believe that that is a matter of personal judgment. But what we do not want to have happen is for us to get swept away and caught up in the religious trappings of a holiday season that quite frankly has nothing to do with Jesus, has nothing to do with the gospel that He brought, and has nothing to do with what is most important about Christianity. We want Jesus, but we want the real Jesus. And so this morning... Let's go looking for it. Like those wise men so long ago, let's see if we can find the real Jesus. And we want to start that search this morning by finding, we want to find the more important image of Jesus. I want to start right here because there is an image of Jesus 
that is always associated with the Christmas season, isn't there? You've probably seen it already. You've seen it displayed hundreds of times during the last several weeks. And it is an image that looks something, looks something like that. It's called, it's called the nativity scene. And that is a popular image and it is adapted from Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 where the Bible says that they wrapped the baby Jesus in swaddling cloths and they laid him in a manger. That image has been recreated by artists time and time again throughout the centuries. Yet I must tell you that I suspect, I suspect that those images very rarely represent reality. In fact, I'll just tell you, I don't think it looked anything like that. Sanitized, glamorous almost. I don't think it was this neat, tidy scene where the heavenly spotlight is shining down, causing an effervescent glow to come off of Jesus and off of Mary and Joseph. And there's just this you know, nice fresh hay and the animals are so well behaved and they're staring on in amazement as if they know exactly what's going on. I don't think it looked anything like that. Truth of the matter is, our Savior was born amid scandal to a poor young couple from Nazareth who were on a journey to Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, they didn't even have a place to stay. They had to sleep in a barn. They had to lay their newborn child in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. And I don't think there was anything glamorous about that at all. And yet, as much as this image is displayed during the holidays, and it is admired, even revered by millions, I would say to you this morning that that is not the image of Jesus that receives the focus in the pages of the Gospel. Do you realize that? It is interesting to me that two of the four Gospel writers, Mark and John, they pass right over His birth story. They don't even record it or mention it. And the two that do record it, Luke and, 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 and Matthew, they give it what has to be considered really a very minimal amount of space, only a couple of chapters at the most. By contrast, think about, think about the amount of space that is given in the Gospels to the last days of Jesus' life. Do you realize that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they focus almost exclusively on the last three years of Jesus' life. And then when you look even more closely at those passages, you'll find that it is the last seven days of Jesus' life that get most of that attention. John's Gospel, for example, by the time you get to chapter 12, you're already in the final week of Jesus' life. What's the point here? The point is that in Scripture... The Holy Spirit wants to drive our attention. But He wants to drive our attention not to the image of the precious sweet baby that was laid in the manger. No, the Holy Spirit wants to drive our attention to the image of the suffering Savior on the cross. That's where the attention is given. Now, let me give just maybe a little bit of balance here. I do not want to suggest this morning in any way that the birth of Jesus is unimportant. Absolutely I am not saying that. The birth of Jesus is so important. We ought to be thankful for that. We can praise God for that. Thank Him for that. Absolutely Jesus' birth is important. For example, so many of the aspects of Jesus' birth were fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. It was prophesied that He would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7 verse 14. 
It was prophesied that He would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Micah 5 verse 2. Those kinds of prophecies help to establish that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah and connects Him to those Old Testament Scriptures. Those things are important. His birth is important. This morning I am saying to you that what is most important about Jesus is not that He was born in a dirty little stable in Bethlehem, but that He died on a wooden cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Because it was there at that place, at Calvary, that He became what John the Baptist said He would be in John 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is at the cross that the words that the angel spoke to Jesus' own father Joseph were then fulfilled when the angel told Joseph that He will save His people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 21. This is what His coming into the world was all about. This is why the baby Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He grew up so that He could go on to live the life and then die the death that He did on the cross. And that is the most important image. Jesus dying on the cross for the world. Jesus dying on the cross for you. In the high school class on Wednesday night, we talked about about why it is that people today are so enamored And why it is that by and large people prefer the baby in the manger to the man bleeding and dying on the cross. And the answer, the answer is obvious. And that's because the image of the baby in the manger, that doesn't really challenge us. It doesn't really force you to really do much of anything. Yeah, you can stop for a moment and kind of look there, look, little baby, little baby's so cute. We admire the baby and then, okay, good seeing you. We just kind of go on our way. But you know what? The man on the cross, you can't do that. How in the world can you look at that? Think about that. Contemplate the image of a sinless man giving his life for all. Thinking about his love and his devotion and his obedience. How can you look at that and not think about your own love and devotion and obedience to Jesus the Christ, the King of Kings? It is at the cross where we will find the real Jesus. It is where we will find the Jesus who poured out His blood for the forgiveness of sins. Which leads directly into this second place where we want to go to find the real Jesus. And that is, we want to go to that memorial that Jesus established by which people are to remember Him. Have you uh, noticed all of the holiday programs and extravaganzas that are presented by the religious community uh, over the last several weeks and certainly today as well? Uh, The Christmas season is a big season. It's a peak season for lots of churches Because they usually will have lots of big, spectacular events to coincide with this special holiday. I have a friend who attends uh, the Creek Church uh, over in London. I think there's a campus here in Somerset too. But they just recently finished uh, their big holiday uh, extravaganza. It's called Nothing But Christmas. And it was a show that ran for multiple days consecutively. And she was posting and commenting on Facebook about how they had sellout crowds for every performance. She said there were 
thousands of people in attendance for this. It was a huge revenue generator. Had another friend who was talking about the Christmas pageant and show that they were going to be doing at their church uh, today. And she mentioned how they'd been working on this program. They'd been rehearsing it. They'd been fine-tuning it. They'd been building props for it since December the 26th of last year. Lots of production. Lots of music. Lots of lights. Lots of pomp. Lots of circumstance. Lots of drama. Lots of ambiance. To make the Christmas spectacular, make it a special event, that is becoming the norm in many churches today. Which is why when folks walk into this building and they start looking around, where's where's the tree at? Where's the bright lights? Where's the candles? Where's all the ambiance going on in here? And they start asking and wondering about all that and they say, "What's, what's up with you folks? What's wrong with y'all? What's going on with you? Because this is the way it is every year, isn't it? Nearly all religious groups who claim some form of allegiance to Jesus, they will have some kind of elaborate Christmas celebration in honor of the birth of our Lord. And I must tell you that the older that I've gotten, the more and more that that has just become very strange to me. That the biggest event of the year for most religious groups, it is centered around... A day that was chosen by men to observe something that in all likelihood didn't even happen on that day. And to then involve themselves in activities and practices that God never authorized for His church to do. That's strange to me. But I'll tell you what's even more odd about all of that. Is that while there is all of this fervor and energy and excitement that gets pumped into the Christmas programs year after year after year, Many of those same religious groups neglect entirely the one memorial, the one memorial that Jesus Himself left for human beings. The one memorial that Jesus explicitly told us to remember, and that, of course, is the Lord's Supper. Would you find Matthew 26 with me, please? In Matthew chapter 26, here in the very shadow of the cross, just shortly before He is to be arrested and led away to be crucified, Jesus gathers in an upper room with His apostles. And we read in Matthew 26 and in verse 26. Matthew 26, verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. But This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There it is. That is the Lord's Supper. And who was it that started that memorial? Was it a man? No. It was Jesus. It was the Lord Himself. And as such, that memorial was observed by His disciples, by His followers, regularly. In fact, I find it interesting that in the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, that one of the very first things that we are told about the Lord's church is that in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves continually to prayers and to praising God, but also to the breaking of bread. That's talking about the Lord's Supper. 
remembering the Lord's death with this memorial. That was an integral part of the New Testament worship that we read about in the Bible every first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 verse 7 gives us that pattern. A regular constant reminder of what the Lord did, not as the baby in the manger, but what the Lord did on the cross. Just add all that up and think about that. A weekly observance of Christ's memorial. That was common then. In fact, if you lived during the time of the first century, any church that you would have attended at that time in the entire world followed that same practice. Gathering together on the Lord's Day to share in the memorial that was instituted by Jesus Himself. Do you think that we could say the same thing about America today? That you could just walk into any church in this entire land and you would find that same practice every first day of the week? No. No, most churches today are not following that pattern. I know of churches that partake of the Lord's Supper on a quarterly basis. Uh, that do it annually, kind of coincide it with certain holidays and special events. Uh, what's even more troubling to me is more and more people that I meet say that their church doesn't ever observe the Lord's Supper. We are talking to somebody once who said, I can't remember the last time that we took the Lord's Supper at my church. It's probably been years. Let me ask you, what would happen... What would happen if one of the big denominational churches here in town, what if they decided that one year, you know what, we're not going to do anything for Christmas. We're not going to put on a big program. We're not going to put on a big show. We're not going to do any decorations. We're not going to have any kind of special service. What do you think would be the outcry about that? People would be upset. People would get angry about that. What do you mean we're not having a Christmas deal this year? How can you dishonor Christ and His birth by not celebrating Him? Why would you not celebrate His birthday? To which I say, how arrogant. How arrogant that men would lift up a memorial of their choosing, but yet when it comes to the memorial that He Himself instituted, people don't even bat an eye. People don't even give it a second thought. If you are looking for Jesus, if you're looking for Jesus, don't go looking for Jesus in some man-made, made-up, carnal, aesthetically pleasing memorial that gets erected during the holiday time once a year. You're not going to find Jesus there. You won't find Jesus being honored there. Where should you come instead? You should come to the table. You come to the table where Jesus will meet us at. You come to that table that Jesus promised He would be there with us in His Father's kingdom as we remember His body, we remember His blood. And in fact, in just a couple of moments, we're going to have the opportunity to do just that as we gather around this table and remember our Savior as He has instructed. Thirdly and finally though this morning, I want to suggest to you that we can find the real Jesus whenever we take a very careful look at the kind of commitment that Jesus calls for and demands of all of His followers. You know, there is a fascinating phenomenon that seems to happen every year right around this time, and particularly it happens during the week of Christmas. Does anybody know what that phenomenon is? It's the phenomenon where everybody starts going back to church. 
In fact, I'm going to guess that today, churches all across America, attendance is probably at an annual high. In fact, I found some statistics that there's a 30% increase in Christmas time attendance compared to all the other weeks of the year. This is a big Sunday for lots of folks. And the reason this phenomenon fascinates me is that on this day, there are people who have not so much as darkened the door of a church building for 51 weeks, with maybe the exception of Mother's Day and Easter. But now on this day, they feel a very special obligation to go and to be there because, well, well, it's Christmas. And so churches today, they will be filled to the gills with holiday visitors. My question is, and I'm asking this in all sincerity, why do people do that? I'm not trying to sound condescending. I'm not trying to sound smug or self-righteous in any way. I'm sincerely asking, what do people think that accomplishes? What exactly is the point? Do people, I guess the best I can think of, is do people genuinely believe that, well, I can just kind of ignore Jesus. I'll just kind of ignore God. I'll ignore His Word. I'll live however I want to live for 364 days out of the year. But if I show up on that one day in December, well, that's going to kind of calm my conscience. That's going to clean my slate. And everything's going to be good between me and God. Is that what people believe? If it is, then they do not know Jesus. They have not found the real Jesus. They do not understand the nature of the commitment to which Christ has called us. And during the holiday season, at a time when people tend to think that having some kind of, I don't know, some kind of quasi-spirituality, you know, I came and I tipped my hat to the little baby in the manger for a couple of moments, that somehow that that is a substitute and that passes for real Christianity, How important is it then that we be reminded of the depth of commitment that Jesus Christ is calling us to? This, folks, this is serious business. This is the reason I would make this point. Because this is serious. This is a matter of eternal life. In fact, we've got this morning, it was announced already, we've got some new babes in Christ right in our midst this morning, just fresh out of the water, just a couple of days new. Young people, young Christians especially, This is something you need to think about. You need to think about the commitment that you have made to Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. Because it didn't end in the baptistry. It just got started. The commitment that you have made yourself to, the commitment that you have bonded yourself to for all the days of your life. For example, can we just run a few verses in Matthew again? Look in Matthew 6. In Matthew chapter 6, what about Matthew 6 verse 33? Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's talking about my priorities in life. Number one, Jesus says, is Him, His things, His kingdom, His righteousness above all else. That's a commitment. How about in Matthew chapter 10? In Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 25, as Jesus talks there about the master and servant or the teacher and the student relationship, He says in Matthew 10 verse 25, He says that it is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher. That is that my purpose in life 
every minute of every day is to become like Jesus. To be more like Him in my words and in my thoughts and in my actions and in every way. Or how about a little bit further in Matthew chapter 10, look in verse 37, where Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a commitment, isn't it? To put Jesus above every other earthly and human relationship. And then what about the next verse, verse 38? That whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a commitment. A commitment to endure. To to deal with and to put up with the hardships and the struggles and the difficulties of the Christian life, no matter the cost. This is about following Jesus, not just on one day of the year. Following Jesus in every place, every moment of every day. In fact, once again, we find ourselves right back at the cross. Because how in the world can I survey the wondrous cross and consider what Jesus did for me on the cross... And not come to the same conclusion that Isaac Watts did in his great hymn of that same name. When he said, love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Has Jesus got your all? It's what He demands. It's what He deserves. And if we think that Jesus is somehow satisfied with anything less then total and complete surrender unto Him and to His ways. And we do not have the right Jesus. Here's the good news though this morning. The real Jesus can be found. He wants to be found. And in fact, we are eager to introduce you to Him this very morning. He was indeed that baby laid in a manger, but He grew up. He grew up to be the master teacher the suffering servant on the cross, the risen Lord, and one day He will be back as the returning King. Can we help you to know that Jesus today? Can we help you to respond to that Jesus today? If you are ready to make the commitment to Jesus that He calls for, again, He's not calling for some of your heart. He's not calling for a a good chunk of your heart. He's calling for all of your heart because He wants all of you entirely, every facet of you. If you're willing to give Him that, then the invitation of the Lord is open to you. The water is ready. I was just in it the other night. I can tell you it's ready. All things are made ready and convenient for you to become a Christian today. You can seal that commitment by being plunged under that water in baptism for the remission of your sins. Can we help you to do that this morning? Brother or sister, preach a lesson like this, and it may sound like you're just preaching to everybody else. This lesson is very much a lesson for us. Think about your commitment to the Lord. How committed are you to Jesus? If that commitment is is weak and frail, and it's not what it ought to be, repent of that. Get that fixed. If you need to call upon your spiritual family here to pray with you and encourage you, help you to be more devoted in serving the Lord, then we stand ready to do that as well. Whatever your need may be, we want you to find Jesus You can do that right now. Do it while we stand and while we sing.